All right, it's time to wake up, everybody. It's time to get your mind right, get your game right. Host Andy Dirks. If you haven't already, hit us up on Instagram, Andy Dirks Baseball. I also have Realtor, Andy Dirks 12 on Twitter. We have a very, very cool show today. Uh, it's, it's about a sports broadcaster who is in Detroit, Michigan, worked his way up, uh, had a dream, went for it. Today on the show, we have Justin Rose. Justin, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so let's dive in. So, Justin, uh, first of all, you know, you're a sports broadcaster for uh, WXYZ Channel 7 in Detroit, Michigan. Was sports always a passion of yours? Yeah, it was. Ever since I was, you know, a young kid, I got into uh, hockey at a young age, started playing golf around 10. And then when I got into high school and middle school, we did the basketball and the football and kind of ran track, pretended to run track. Um, but yeah, it was always something. And, and it's what's funny about me getting the broadcasting was we had a local cable channel, like most communities do, you know, the, the bulletin board channel where you would, yeah. you know, scroll through it. It would be like, there's a bazaar at the church on Sunday and they would broadcast varsity games, um, varsity girls, volleyball, varsity boys, basketball and girls, basketball and football. And I, I remember thinking, That'd be kind of cool to do if, if I could do that, you know. So mm -hmm. I asked around, and, and the only people who were doing it were um, the principal at the time and um, one of the guys that kind of ran it. So they didn't really have any student involvement until mm -hmm. I kind of asked about it. And after my first game, I did a, a women's volleyball game. I just – they gave me a $20 bill, and I said, wait a minute, you're paying me for this? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we'll give you 20 bucks a game. And I said, well, how many games can I do? And they said, as many as you want. And I said, well, I'll do the whole season. Because I was just so excited about being able to, to get paid. And, you know, back then, it was 20 bucks was like a lot of money. Yeah, no and doubt. I did that for the first three years of my high school until I got on the varsity teams. And then basically knew that I was going to do that in college. So. so you went and found an opportunity. It didn't come, come to you. you know, yeah, it was – it, I, I guess you could look at it that way. I mean, I feel like I found the opportunity, but I had to go out and, and you know, get better at it and, like, make the connections with the people that were going to be able to put me in a position to be successful on there because I, I guarantee you, I, I couldn't even remember what I how that first broadcast went, but it probably yeah. wasn't that great. <laughs> so, the fact But it started that laying that foundation. It started laying that foundation of something. You like sports. You know, for 99% for of people, you're never going to get paid to play a sport. Uh, but you can still be involved in different aspects, but it is, it is highly competitive. The, the job that you're in, the field that you're in, a lot of people, uh, want to do something like that. But, uh, what are, what are some of the, uh, as you went, you went to, you went on to Michigan state, uh, got a degree in, I would assume communications, right? Broadcast journalism. Yeah. They have Ooh, a, they better. have a, yeah, yeah nice. they have a broadcast program at Michigan state. Um, Central is one of the other schools in Michigan that does. Those are the two main schools. You can find programs like that pretty much anywhere you're at. Mm -hmm. But getting to a, a school that has, uh, you know, a specialty in it was helpful. But I think, again, it goes back to, look, Michigan State put me in a position to kind of know where I was going. But mm -hmm. I, wouldn't, I didn't walk out of the doors with a diploma and an opportunity. I had to find that as well. Um, I think that in any business or any career that you choose to get into, you'll all remember what first break you got. And my first break didn't really come until about two years after I graduated, uh, which was frustrating because I kept on sending my tape and stuff to everybody. And no one really gave me an opportunity until a small station in Clarksburg, West Virginia, offered me a part time job for ten dollars uh, an hour for 20 hours a week uh-huh do the math andy yeah not good not uh good. not good and <laughs> uh but i i had i had to look at it from the aspect of if i can take this opportunity and morph it into what i want it to which i believe that i could then i could get to a level where a the money was no longer an issue and i would still be doing the same thing that i wanted to do and uh you know fast forward eight years nine years now i think it is and here I am in Detroit. So uh, it definitely was one of those things where, you know, you, you had the I had to love what I was doing more than I loved money. And yeah. that's a hard thing 
for young people to do, especially right out of college with all of their friends making money and starting to find their careers and stuff. But I will, I will vouch for all of my best friends these days, just knowing how jealous they are that I get to do what I get to do every day. And they go, well, I got to go to work from nine to five every day and do the same thing I've been doing for eight years. I don't do the same thing every day. So a lot of times people, what they see is the end result. So they see you on TV. They just figure oh, you know, pretty face, uh, got a good personality. Uh, It's easy to get a job like that. What they don't see is you bouncing around from, from West Virginia, hitting a job in Pittsburgh, kind of going, you know, the, the minor league route per se, absolutely like baseball, the bus leagues before you even can sniff an opportunity to get on a, on a bigger network and in front of more people. And I I have one of the biggest problems I have with young people getting into the business today. I mentor a lot of kids and I go to talk to classes as much as I can. And and I always say to people, don't look for shortcuts. Mm -hmm. Don't look for everyone wants all of these kids and and i was the same way too and that's the thing that i always tell them as well is i wanted it all right away my first job was at fox sports detroit as a production assistant so i didn't really do anything on the air at all i mean Mm -hmm. i might have done five or ten things on the air over two years so not very much and all of the kids I talk to now go, oh, I'm going to get a job at a network and I'm going to get a job on uh, ESPN. And I'm going to and I'm like, but why are you not giving yourself an opportunity to grow and get better so that when you do get that opportunity, you actually succeed at it? Because I can guarantee you, if you went to a big time job, only one, maybe two percent of the people are capable of jumping into those roles right away. Mm-hmm. And. I try to tell these kids to, to don't, don't take shortcuts and don't, don't try to skip it. Get better. Go, go fail somewhere so that you can be successful later. And I think that's a, a big reason why I'm in the position I'm in today is because I allowed myself to mature not only as a on-camera talent, but as a person. You know, yeah. and it changed my mentality and how to treat people and how to make relationships and how to talk to people and, and all of the things that you need to be successful in the working world. And that's what I, I really stress to anybody who's trying to get to any dream is don't look for shortcuts. Find, find, the, find the shortest path you can without taking a shortcut because you'll be thankful in the time. And, and eight years is relatively a short amount of time in one's life to get to where they want to go. And that's what it took me. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's going to take everybody eight years or more or less but I feel very confident on how I got to where I got. Yeah. I love that aspect. It's it's you're doing the things to prepare for your opportunities. You know, right. it's, it's always, and you're, whatever your next opportunity is, you created one in high school. Then you went out and sent tapes to get an opportunity that most people would probably say, this job's below me. I shouldn't, I don't need to do this. I should be in the big leagues. I should be uh, in the, in front of the big camera. When in reality, those are, those are your building blocks. That's your foundation to where once you get the opportunity uh, at the big leagues or at the, that next level or that next promotion in your job, you feel very confident that you can succeed. And there's still, there's still some anxiety and fear. We have, everybody has to deal with that. But the more you've prepared, like you, you're saying, build it up. The more, the more you've prepared, the more you've done, the more back work. When you get that big opportunity, it's easier to just go out there and perform. Exactly. And that's exactly how I will continue to look at it because I don't feel like I'm done mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so I take all of the experiences I continue to have and all the relationships I continue to build and use those to push me forward even more in this career. What, what was it your was it your love for what you do? Uh, what's the underlying drive? Because everybody's motivation is a little different, but you have to have some kind of motivation to get you through those doubtful times. Like you said, your buddy's just got a job at Quicken. He's making a hundred grand a year, and you're doing twenty dollars an hour or ten dollars an hour for twenty hours a week. And you're like, "Am I wasting my time? Am I wasting my life?" Those doubts. What are what what kind of help push you and, and keep you thriving towards that goal? Well, I was fortunate enough to have a really good support system with my friends and my family, namely my parents, um, mm-hmm. because there were times that I would call my dad from West Virginia and say, "You know what? Just come pick me up. You know, this is dumb." What are we doing here? I mean, I can't make rent this month. Uh, I, I haven't done anything fun and per, for my personal self in, in a year. 
Mm-hmm. And what what am I doing here? This is this is an endless road to nowhere. And that was the times that I would call him. I, and I, there were a few, more than three. Yeah. <laughs> and I I just said I I'm tired. I was tired of leaning on them for financial support when I mm-hmm. when I couldn't make you know things. Uh, and I was tired of of kind of looking around and seeing all my friends take all these great vacations and. I was not able to take great vacations. And I think the underlying thing for me was I didn't know what else I was going to do. Yeah. I had, I had ingrained in my brain for all of basically all of high school and all of college for at least seven, eight years that I was going to do this. So what was I going to fall back on? Because I knew the rush that I felt when I, when I told a good story and when I was successful at what I was doing anchoring and, and uh, you know, putting together a story on stuff. I knew that it was, and this is, you know, call it cocky, call it confident. I'd like to call it a little bit of both, but I knew that the stuff was coming out. That was good. I knew it was watchable stuff. I knew it was stuff that people resonated with the, with the viewing audience. And I, I felt that it was stuff that people wanted more of. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do that. And I wanted to continue to, I, I felt like it was my gift. My ability to tell a story is, one of my traits it's one of my favorite things about my personality and i just didn't want to abandon that and i think that was the one thing that i came back to is do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life and here i am working in my home market with my friends and my family who i had had to abandon for so long guess what now i don't miss parties now i don't miss get-togethers now i don't miss my niece's birthday party you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i get to do all those same things and go to work every day knowing that I get to, to do what I'm good at and tell stories. So awesome. it, it, that was kind of the drive that kind of pushed me along was, Hey, you'll get there if you keep doing the right things the right way. And, and the thing is, is I had the wherewithal and the self-awareness to know that it was going to work out. If it's not working out for you, find something that will, you can, there's so many jobs in sports these days, Andy. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you could, we could rattle these off and, and, and you know, forever. You know, find what you're good at. If you're good at writing, write. If you're good at producing, produce. If you're good at actively actively being on camera, be on camera. But do everything a little bit as well. That'll also help. Great insight. You know, surrounding yourself with quality individuals and people and, and that support system is huge. And it pays massive dividends. And it doesn't always have to be family. You know, everybody has a different situation. It can be a mentor. I always tell young kids, try to find a mentor, somebody who's where you want to go and lean on them because usually most successful people, and we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of them on the show so far, they all have some kind of a mentor. They've all had somebody, you know, a support system. And if you, if you can't think of one right now, I guarantee you're not thinking hard enough because there's people that want you to succeed in life. And the, the edge, the advantage is surrounding yourself with the most people that want to see you succeed and they pump you up on a daily basis they get you kind of refocused and get that energy going again i can't i can't stress that enough uh, for people so let's you have a cool job there's no no if ands or buts about it not everybody's built for that you know most people see a if i pull out my cell phone and start filming people are running for the hills you know <laughs> right but, but there's also some people that it's a cool job uh, even if you're afraid of the camera, just to watch and see how you get to interact with these different people and, and, and characters. What's kind of a daily life in that business like? Like, I know your weeks are probably all over the map with different sporting events, but what's kind of like a, a daily routine or something that you might follow depending on what you're doing? Uh, well, we like, depending on the season, obviously, whatever season is in play is, is uh you know, big, heavy on whatever the sports is. So right now, obviously, we're talking a lot about the NFL, college football. This week's the rivalry between Michigan and Michigan State. So today, for example, I'm headed down to the Lions. Uh, they're back off the bye week, so they'll practice today, and they'll go over some film and some stuff. So they'll open the locker room up. So I'll be down there in time to uh, be a part of the press conference with Matt Patricia, and then the locker room will open, and we'll go in and we'll talk to some of the guys about how their week was off and what did they do and how did it help them refocus or re-energize? And I'm sure there'll be something else that somebody will say that we'll go off of. Um, a big thing in, in this business is listening to people. Obviously mm-hmm. it's, it's more, you can go in equipped with every question under the sun, but if you're not listening, then 
probably not uh, doing your job right. Uh, so that's a typical day like today. And then I'll, I'll put together a story and I'll put stuff online and kind of feed the mouth of the, the people that are looking for the information. And then uh, Tuesday, every Tuesday during the fall, I have a one-on-one interview with Mark D'Antonio in East Lansing. So I'll go up there and listen to his press conference. And then he and I will go off to uh, the locker room afterwards. And we'll, we'll talk about his team and the win over Penn State and look ahead to Michigan. And it's, it's always fun. We've had a pretty good relationship over the past four years we've been doing it so it's always a fun thing to kind of pick his brain on some different things um no doubt and then you know and then wednesdays is usually a day where i look for fun stories that are impactful in the community um you know for example last week i had a story on the pistons uh andre drummond held a special olympics camp uh, because a bunch of the team was playing during halftime of the pistons preseason game so how he's really kind of taken on being an an ambassador for the special Olympics is kind of a unique story that not a lot of people knew about Andre Drummond. So those are the kind of things I look for. I look for high school kids stories. I look for other college stories or, or different things, youth sports and all that different stuff. Uh, And then my weekends I'm anchoring on Saturdays and then I host a uh, talk show on Sunday nights at 1130 called the sports cave. And that's where um, I have former athletes on current athletes on, uh, writers and radio personalities to discuss what's going on in the sporting world. So that's a typical week for me, but, but it, every day is different uh, really is because it always changes and some things break and something pull me away from what I had planned, but that's, that's kind of the fun part of it too. Yeah. It, and it, I like an occupation like that. Obviously I'm in real estate now and I have this get your game right business, but uh, you get to rub elbows with uh people who are in the limelight, you know, celebrities, athletes, all sorts of different people. When you, when you first started this venture, you know, coming from a different area and coming back to your hometown from, you know, these are people that you had watched on TV. You had kind of grown up with watching on TV and admired. And the next thing you know, you're in a locker room interviewing one of them. Uh, Were there any challenges with that for you uh, as far as, you know, getting comfortable and understanding, Hey, these are just, these are, these are guys, these are women, these are humans. Uh, and, and being able to kind of get over that hump of I'm interviewing a star athlete or a D'Antonio or somebody like that? You know, I'll go back to my days in Pittsburgh because when I was growing up, I was a huge Mario Lemieux fan. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the guy. Him and Yager, I just was like, oh, these are the – and I, we would play street hockey, and I would pretend to be one of the two. And I was in Pittsburgh, and, you know, I, I got to interview. I got really close with Paul Christ, who's now the head coach at Wisconsin, and we still have a relationship. We see each other once a year at the Big Ten Media Days and always are giving each other some grief. And um, But I remember when I first saw Mario Lemieux in person, I was starstruck. <laughs> I was – it was nobody else. Sidney Crosby was, like, no big deal. Like, uh-huh. And he's the biggest – one of the biggest hockey stars of the day. And I was like, yeah, whatever, just Sidney. But I saw Mario Lemieux, I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I saw Wayne Gretzky at Gordy Howe's funeral. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. And th- I think that everybody has a certain of, a few people that – oh, I also got really starstruck when I saw Andy Dirks for the first time. Hey, in person. I have that effect I'm just on saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I definitely think that there was, uh, you know, a part of me that had to realize, look, I got a job to do, and I have to go in there with a certain amount of professionalism and, and, and not – I feel like the one thing that I've gotten uh, relatively good at is, is being myself in front of people who have uh, a status, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm not afraid to ask them a, maybe a tough question, tougher question. I'm not in there trying to, you know, trying to ruffle anybody's feathers too much, but having a conversation with somebody instead of interviewing them, I hate when people go in there with a list of questions because that's not a, that's just an interview. That's not a conversation. Mm-hmm. You have a conversation with somebody, not only are they more apt to give you a better answer, but they're also more apt to, to open up to you a little bit more when they get to know you a little bit and realize that, hey, I, I'm not out here to try to destroy your career. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, some athletes look at that. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is one of them. He got burned early on in his career because he was too jovial with the media. Yep. And he, sh- he shut it down since. Yep. And we don't get to see the funny, lively guy that, that is in the, in the clubhouse with his teammates because he's so afraid that somebody's going to take what he says and, and misconstrue it and make him look like to be a bad guy. Yeah, without so, a doubt. Everybody's got – and most athletes have some kind of a fear of that to a point. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's there's a few guys. Now with social media, I think uh, guys have loosened up a little bit because there's so many people saying stupid stuff anyway that there's there's plenty of ammo for people to use. They can always pull a tweet from somebody two years ago if they want to. Right. But, but the good reporters, they stick to the story. They ask relevant questions, you know, the good ones, the ones that are like, they make you think a little bit. They 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 make you think, okay, maybe we're not performing because of this. Things like that, right? Right. And that's the thing. I think that I like to look at my sports, um, you know, when I give a sports report or when I do a, a standard, hey, here's what happened today at the Tigers game or here's what happened at the, the, the Lions game. I'd like to think that I look at it from uh, the Everman point of view. Uh, I like to believe that most of the people can resonate with what I'm saying, whether they're huge sports fans who love every detail, or if they're just like casual sports observers, they can also learn something Mm -hmm. from what I'm saying. And the one thing I always, I don't like when, when, when the beat reporters more specifically, I'll throw them under the bus because they do the same to me. Yep. (laughs) They don't have conversations with these guys. And it's funny because these are the guys that are around them every single day, every single game. And for a baseball player, you would know this. I'm sure that you have stories of, certain players that are like, man, I really don't like that person. It's because their questions are grilling. They're always like under the microscope instead of just being like, Hey man, you went over four today. Like what's going on? Is your swing just, just is today just the day? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, instead of having a real conversation, if you and I went golfing, Andy, and you didn't play very well, I'd be like, do you always play like this? And some people be like, Oh, he's just trying to rile him up. It's like, no, I mean, I'm asking him a question. You know, that's a tough question. Yeah. When you're playing a bad rounder, you have a bad game. But it's also like, no, man, like uh, you can answer that in a way that is honest and, and also gives a, a, an insight into why you played the way you did. Yeah. So I, I definitely like to think that that having a conversation instead of a typical interview is is much more um, beneficial for everybody. It, it, the interview stance, like you said, they have predetermined questions that they're rolling in there with. They're trying to get you to say something that'll spark them to be on the front page. You know, they want controversy and part of that. Yes, I understand that. And it's okay to have some controversy, especially in sports. Baseball is a long season. There's controversy in the clubhouse amongst players. There's always going to be something right. And and it's it's kind of nice sometimes to bring those things to light like anything as opposed to shove them under the rug, because then you get a resolution faster and you can move forward faster. Like even in all the political stuff that that's going on now. You see that now stuff is coming out in the media and some of it's good and some of it's false. But overall, what it does is kind of give a a general awareness of what's happening and how can we fix this on a greater scale? I'll look at it this way. I'll give you an example that that's if if nobody would have asked the question about the rally goose being in the clubhouse, would that have been a thing this year? Yeah. You know, and, and and so I think that so many times people, especially today, and look, I just cover sports. You know, I am strictly, I have my own political beliefs that I'm not bringing them with to the table anywhere. Not yeah. even in this highly regarded podcast. Because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I think. My point is, is that the media has a job to do. And it's to give information out. Where you choose to get your source from is what it is. Mm-hmm. But we are just trying to give the information out. And one of the things that happened to come out because people were asking questions, being inquisitive, is the rally goose story. The whole thing behind that was such a phenomenon for the half of the season, really third of the season. It, it made the tigers interesting to everyone Yeah, to, to people who aren't even baseball fans. And it galvanized the city for a while. It yeah. really did. We all knew what was going to come to the end of the year with the tigers. We all knew, mm-hmm. but that small part of time because of, you know, the team really rallying behind it and journalists asking questions and having fun with it and players wanting to talk about it as well really helped really fuel that thing. And so you get good and you get bad because, you know, I mean, there, there are always stories, like you said, it's a long season. A lot of things happen and transpire in basically seven months. So, you know, you have to cover the good with the bad. Um, I would just think, Remember what what sports media is here for. We're here to to entertain, to be the conduit to the fan, and to and to ask the questions that people want to know outside. Something I realized more after my playing career, because once you get done playing, you can kind of look back at different things that have happened. 
you start understanding as a player, you know, you're there to do a job. You're going in, you go to the clubhouse, you're preparing to do your job on a daily basis. As you step out of it and realize, you know, really the biggest focus in baseball and any professional sport is it's, it's entertainment. And, and when you're looking at it in that mindset, it opens up a whole new avenue of how can we entertain people? Because without the fans, without people watching the games on TV, without people engaging in, in the, the media broadcast and engaging in the newspaper with, with the sports teams, there's no money, right? Because right. you have to have fans that, that want to be involved and watch the game, just like with the Rally Goose. Uh, Detroit, not a good team this year, uh, not going to make the playoffs. We, we pretty much knew that going into the season. But there's certain things that can help promote that's outside of the game itself. It money flowing, keeps everything established. And as players, I think a lot of times you forget, hey, the reason you're getting paid a, a good – good salary and a good amount of money is because there's people that are willing to watch this and the more you personalize it the more they're into it the more that's why the nba has taken off so much because mm -hmm. the walls are completely down in the nba you don't have the mlb breathing down all the copyrights and stuff like that the nba it the content is available to everybody so now all of a sudden the nba is more relevant uh you know because after michael jordan and the bulls it kind of went down a little bit but now with social media and these new stars, LeBron, Steph Curry, these guys who are open and have a relationship with the media, it's coming back. It, it absolutely is. And you may bring up such a great point about how basketball has really taken social media and made it, made it a place where everybody can come and find, even if you're not a fan of a particular team and you don't get to watch them um, all the time, you certainly get to see what they're doing and what they're up to, and they make that a point to get that out there so that people can consume it. And if they like it, they know where to find it. That's the one thing that some of the leagues, I think NHL needs to take a big step if they want to keep people relevant. Hockey's such a great sport. Mm -hmm. It's such a, I mean, there's nothing better than watching the Stanley cup playoffs in my estimation. I think it's the best overall playoff system from start to finish, but NHL has got to get more to get out there because their, their brand is a little bit, a little bit lacking as far as sharing everything and being, at the front of uh, social media and, and, and those types of engagements. But that's the next step, Andy. And we, if you know the idea, I'll jump in board with you because we got to figure out what's the next thing. What's the next Twitter? What's the next way people are going to consume sports media? Mm -hmm. And if we can figure that out, we'll make a lot of money. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> a lot of it is accessibility. You know, uh, people – People want to know what players think. Young kids, you, you have these idols. Uh, it's, it's always that fine line as a star player of keeping your image, but also being honest and truthful, right? Because right. The, the worst thing that happens is, you know, these, you think this guy's so clean cut, but we're all humans. People make mistakes. The cool thing is usually people are willing to forgive fairly quickly. Oh, yeah. And I think if guys understand that, it, it will open them up to a little more conversation, a little more, hey, you know, this is a little bit more racy or this is a little bit more maybe digging deeper than they want. But overall, you know, it's probably for the betterment of them. Look at look at Nike with Colin Kaepernick. They went racy and extreme and everybody talked about Nike and they're the most they're they were super relevant, you know, for for that two week period. There's things that you can use even as a player. And this is where players were, were kind of, you become a robot because you're there to do a job. And I always said, uh, my philosophy was don't give them a reason not to like me as far as the organization. Right. Right. But I think the organization and especially in today's game in baseball, they're starting to really like the character. They like, Absolutely. The, guy, they like the, the, the puigs, the guy that's licking his bat and breaking over his knee because fans can engage with that and enjoy it. And it's, it's kind of breaking down that old school mentality of just put your head down, run the bases, you'll play. And then once you're done, you're done. You know, if you look at the most successful athletes over time, especially over the recent uh, time, it's the ones that are visible. It's the ones that are out there. It's the ones that allow people in. And I often try to tell, you know, the teams that I cover or the players that I cover, hey, if you let me showcase you a little bit more and if you open up your uh doors to me a little bit more into your life you're gonna take off here you people are gonna love you and 
it's some are like, yeah, let's do it. And some are like, no, I, I, I don't want, I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm like, tell me why you don't think that's a good idea. Well, you know, they said that, you know, we should, and I'm like, well, who's in charge of you, you or them, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's, and some guys eventually do it. And some guys don't, I I look at like a guy like Blake Griffin, Mm -hmm. who's just put the Pistons down. We don't know a lot about him here in Detroit because we don't, we've only had him for, not even a half a season, and he was injured, and then in the summer he was gone, and he's back in L.A. And did you know, Andy, he is a big-time comedian? No, I didn't know that. He has this whole channel on funnierdie.com mm-hmm. where he's, he's retiring from the comedy business for a, a career in music, and it's like six or seven little short clips on YouTube where he's talking with uh, people in the entertainment business, telling them he's retiring from – from comedy to, to start a music career. And everyone's like, don't you play basketball? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's just my like background job. Yeah. And it's hilarious. And it's funny. And he's like a really funny guy. And I asked him about it during our, uh, you know, I, I had a one-on-one conversation with him when we uh, started the media day thing for the Pistons. And I brought it up and he kind of downplayed it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the next time I see him, I'm going to be like, dude, where was, where was this when we were talking about your comedy thing? He's like, oh, and I'm sure he'll be like, oh, you know, I just, it was something I was. It's like, that's a huge part of who you are. Yeah. And people want to know who you are because nobody knows about Blake Griffin in Detroit right now. Nobody knows what makes him tick, what makes him want to play the game, what he likes to do in his off time. You know? Yeah. We want to know about that. And fans want to know about that and eat that up. He could be a superstar here. You know, Tom Gorris talks about how much he wants a superstar in his basketball team. Well, it takes more than just a guy on the court doing his thing to be a superstar. Yeah. You have to engage with the community. You have to have a following outside of the basketball arena. And Blake Griffin is more than capable of doing that here in Detroit. And we'll see. And that's what's kind of fun going into each season with new players and and upcoming players. And especially with the Tigers right now, you know, they're going to be bringing in a lot of young guys. And they're going to be guys that are going to be corners of the franchise for the future. And, you know, who's going to be the next – you know, Justin Verlander, mm-hmm. not only on the field, but guy off the field that's relatively liked and, and wanted to, to learn to, uh, learn more about. So it's a fun way to, to, to definitely get into the sports. And, and sometimes I think even more these days that the sport is secondary to the personalities and the, the drama that's going on with teams. Yeah. And I don't know. I'd like your thoughts on that. How much, how much do guys or did guys, I guess, when you played, hate having to deal with the media? Some liked it, I'm sure, but others were like, ah, could do without it. Well, you know, and we had most of our big stars were were Latin players. And Latin players traditionally have never really gotten that deeply involved with the media. Some of it's the language barrier and some of it's like, like Miggy, he got burned early and he said, you know what, forget it. It's not worth my time. But with the same respect for Miggy, a guy like him, it took him a long time to get the recognition that he probably deserved earlier in his career because he's not on that national media news. He's not, you know, a superstar yet. It, it, it took him winning a triple crown to start getting in discussions of being MVPs and, and things of that nature. Right. So, mm-hmm. and he's a guy who's probably the best hitter all around hitter in baseball for close to a decade. It, if you look at his numbers and what he was doing, it's wild. And to think that even like in the all-star game, it's like, Oh, it's just Miguel Cabrera. It's not like right. this is one of the best hitters that has ever played the game. And part of that's the relationship with the media. Then we get a guy that comes in, and I just had Tori on the podcast. You get a guy like Tori Hunter, who's very open, very honest. He, you know, might have got burned a couple times, but he doesn't let it stop him. And he is, he only played here a short time, but people in Detroit remember him. They love him. They, he's one of their favorite players of all time, all of a sudden. And he had a very short career here, you know? So mm-hmm. that's the way you can leverage it. And I think some of it is personality-based. Some of it is, I don't want to get screwed. But there's an overall consensus of fear, like anything. With fear breeds bad results, right? And right. when you get a young guy in who's there, – there's nobody advising us really how to respond to the media, how to talk to the media, things we should be doing on social media. I think as organizations, uh, they should probably start hiring a consultant to help these younger players kind of develop and become, like you said, the superstar. Like Joe Namath, right. Joe Namath knew how to work the crowd. He wasn't the best quarterback of all time, 
but everybody knows Joe Namath to this day. That's right. a really good example. I mean, not statistically, not the greatest quarterback ever. He's not a Tom Brady. He's not a, a, a Joe Montana. But people love Joe Namath. If he but goes, his name is thrown around like he is one of those guys. Exactly. So it's a good way for an athlete. And this is things to think about when your career's over. You know, and now, especially now that I've seen the other side, because I didn't do social media. I, you know, I was pretty generic with the media overall. I, I am, I have a personality that's, that's big, but I never used it because I was afraid to use it because I didn't want my, my bag in front of my locker with the Toledo <laughs> Mudhen sign on it after the game, because I said something, you know, right. but I think, right. I think we are starting to shift a little more towards that, that media relation aspect. And it, it needs to be part of the game. If we're going to keep baseball relevant, uh, right. if we're going to keep uh, basketball and football and these things relevant. Guys have to be characters. You're getting paid as much for you're, you're a brand yourself. And I think guys don't realize that. And what they do is they go and they say, Oh, I'm just going to play my role and go, but it's okay to have some personality. What it does also is it makes the whole experience more enjoyable as opposed to being in the clubhouse and like, Oh, here comes the media. If you're like, Hey, what's up, man? How you been? You know, good to see you. Blah, blah, blah. They ask you about your kids. Cause I had, a, I had, uh, you know, a few guys like that. And then a few guys where I'm like, Oh, I, I, I just don't even want to deal with this right now because you right. know, you're going to get hammered in the bullets. So I think on both sides, the media and the players, it's about developing those relationships and understanding where each other's role fits for the future of the sport as a whole. You hit the nail on the head right there with the relationship building. And, and look, I think sometimes fans look at media members and they say, oh, you're just a fanboy and you just want to hang out with the players. And it's like, well, not really, mm -hmm. because I don't think I've ever hung out with a player outside of a clubhouse or a locker room. Yeah. <laughs> so now that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I did a funny bit where I interviewed three players. I recently got engaged. You know of this. Mm -hmm. um, and before I got engaged, about a week before, I, I told James McCann, uh, Blaine Hardy mm -hmm. and um, Alex Wilson and Michael Fulmer, all four of those guys. I went up to all four of those guys and I said, Hey, I'm going to propose next week. What should I do? What do you know? Give me some tips. Give me some advice. Cause those guys are all married. Yeah. And it was funny. It was a funny, we did it on camera and they agreed to do it on camera and, and they all told me how they proposed and how they were all like scared and, you know, going through the emotions and stuff. And it was just funny to, uh, to connect with those guys and, a completely off-topic, you know, thing. Yeah. Other than baseball, and I went and I did the proposal. She said yes, amazingly, and I went back and I didn't even bring it up, but James McCann sought me out and he goes, "Hey man, how'd it go?" And I was like, "Go what go?" And he's like, "The engagement," and I'm like, "Oh yeah," like you know, and I mean that's the type of thing that. James has always been one of the guys who will get in front of a camera, win or lose. Yeah. And, and that's what's really respectable about him. But at the same time, to have a personal relationship with him, when I see him out now at a Lions game or at Lions practice, I've seen him a couple times out. He's always wanted to come up and say, hello, how are you doing? How are things? And it's no longer than a 30-second conversation. But it's nice to, nice to know that a guy respects you and you, in turn, respect him back. Yeah. And it's the relationship that he and I have and some of the other players and other organizations have that really, you know, um, really benefit both parties. It benefits us because we can go and talk to him whenever we need something. Yeah. And it benefits him because he can also go and say, hey, I'm doing this thing for this charity. Will you come out and help? Will you come out and promote? Will you come out and cover it? And it's like, well, yeah, of course, it's you. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's how that works. You know, and it's not that we're being buddy-buddy. It's just the, the respect that we have and the relationship that we've built over time. And respect's a two-way street. You know, and some some guys go in because they have a media badge. They think we should respect them. It doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just like you exactly. shouldn't respect me just because I'm in the major leagues or whatever. Right. Just because right. you're there doesn't mean maybe you're, you're a good guy. So that that, that respect thing, it's a mutual uh, uh, thing. So I think that I would I would imagine and you can answer this question for me. I would imagine that players see that and then talks amongst themselves after the media leaves. Yeah. You guys know who is, hey, you know what, give, give that kid a bone. Uh, give that guy a bone. He's not trying to, you know. I would imagine that would be. Is that how that works? Usually, you know, if the 
for me, if a media guy screwed one of my teammates over or something, you're, you're blackballed. That's just kind of the way we were operating when I was there because that I'm on a daily basis. I'm with my guys, the guys on the team, 162 games in clubhouses in everything. So that respect of, Hey, you know, this guy screwed you over. Now it rarely happened, but if a guy went in, I, I know that uh, Donnie Kelly had an issue and the guy ended up getting booted out of having his pass behind, behind the doors anyway. But that's a very extreme issue. Now, on the other stance, we, we wanted guys when they came into our clubhouse because you have to remember this, too. Your clubhouse is your home away from home. So when somebody walks in your clubhouse, they're walking into your house or a group of us, right? And I don't know exactly how the guys approach it now, but I was around a lot of veteran players. So they, they viewed that as this is my house. So when people came in, they didn't like people just lounging around. They, they, were, they wanted people to engage and have conversation. If there's right. A, not just standing right. around because the guy that's always standing around is always the guy you're like, he's listening in to another news reporter or another person interviewing me and trying to get something out of it without coming to me and asking me the questions or having the conversation. Those were the guys we're always fishy of, you know, yeah. kind of the guy looming in the background. Like he's got his little recorder and he's kind of recording the stuff you're saying where you might have this legit news reporter uh, recording you uh, and asking you great questions. And you have this person in the back trying to steal that info. And that was right. kind of like, Oh, I, we drive us nuts, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and All I'm right. sure for you, I mean, because that's your content, that's your, your bread and butter. And then somebody might, and I, you know, I didn't follow the media that much when I played because, uh, there's good, there's bad, there's all sorts of stuff. And I always just was there to do my job. Right. So I wasn't reading a, a ton of articles, but you know, the guy that comes into the clubhouse in the background, writes an article for his little blog, that's got 15 followers or whatever, you know, and, and those guys always drove us nuts. And those are the guys who pretty, you could spot them pretty quickly and we would not engage with, but the guys who were there, and trying and engaging those are the guys we respected and those are the guys who would continue to get the good the good info yeah and it's funny because we get to the question these days where who should be credentialed and who shouldn't be mm -hmm. and where's the line because we have such a vast outlet source of information these days we have some blogs are actually more read than some websites yep. you know and it's and it's it's just the way that it is and i wonder where you cut that off between you know, we're trying to do a professional job and this guy's blog is, you know, and it's like, uh, yeah. you know, what, what's the word between the two? And I don't not necessarily want to like say like, you have to come and get it from channel seven and channel seven only. I don't believe in that yeah. because there is so many ways to get information out there. And, 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 you know, you'll find your personalities you like to watch and listen to. And that's kind of how I would take in. Yeah, media. That's how I do it myself personally. When I when I look for it elsewhere, I think right. But, what you said earlier uh, on this topic, what you said earlier about your job is to provide the most relevant information for people to consume and engage with. Right. I think it with the social media followings and these blog posts and and uh, the podcasts and all this different stuff that's coming out, all people care about is their followers. And if, right. if, their, if their number one motivation is to accumulate as many followers as possible to see a monetary revert, uh, return on that, I think they're approaching it the wrong way. And those are the guys who should be shut out. And the guys who are there to build relationships do a great job. And knowing that by doing that, the following will come, right? I think that's the biggest difference because then you, then you don't have people that are misconstruing information uh, for their benefit. And, and you get the actual reporters, the actual news people who want the actual facts and they will write the story on the facts. They'll do the interview with the facts and not the people that will misconstrue information just to try to get a thousand more followers on their podcast. Yeah. And, and we see too much of that these days. Yep. And, and for both, at the end of the day, I think honesty will win out. But overall, the media as a whole, now that I'm done playing, I wish I'd have known more when I was playing. And for younger players and any young person listening or coaches or whoever, be engaged with the media. 
they're not there to hurt you. And I think that's a big, big fear factor is they're going to hurt me. They're going to hurt my reputation. Trust me, the media is not going to hurt your reputation. The person that's going to hurt your reputation is, is you or me by doing some stupid stuff off the field usually. Right. So that's right. where, that's where if you're, if you button it up a little bit off the field, you don't have anything to worry about. Well, and to that point, you know, be, if you reach out to a media member and you, you, you know, spark a relationship with them, all of a sudden you're going to find it so much easier to have a conversation with other members of the media. Cause you'll learn, you'll have conversations yeah. like the one you and I are having right now about how to handle things and how to handle, um, you know, talking to them. And, and, and really most, I would say Detroit is a very special place with the media we have there. There are very, um, caring people in the media mm-hmm. i would i would say that a lot of us get a little bit a bit of a bad rap as trying to like be out for anybody i don't really think that besides a handful of individuals i don't think anyone's really out to get anybody yeah and you have to learn that on your own you have to you know you as a player and, and stuff you have to kind of like you know it's just like anything you wouldn't just let anybody into your house that like the teams you know they they credential people because they they trust those people to you know, respect where they are and respect the people in there. And they're, you know, like you said, the home away from home atmosphere. But at the same time, if you and I, and when you're a player, strike up a relationship and and have like a a common respect ground, it it just makes things so much easier for both sides. Without a doubt. Uh, Who is, so you get it, you've interviewed and, and sat down and had amazing talks with all sorts of, of pretty special individuals. This is going to be an impossible question, but is there one interview or something off the top of your head for uh, uh, an interview that you did that was really kind of spectacular and you thought, wow, that was absolutely, that went as good as it could have. And that was amazing. Great individual, great interview. And kind of, it was like your Nirvana as far as your career goes. You know, it's tough. dude. It is almost an impossible question. I don't necessarily know I had, um, an interview that that did checked off all of those boxes. I don't think yeah. I've had a Nirvana type interview, but I will say I've had some really good ones and fun ones. And I think one of my favorite ones was Dan Marino. Cool. Uh, he was opening up a, a restaurant down in the Pittsburgh area, and you know I'm sitting there and I'm the only media member there, and me and my camera guy and and the owner. I talked to the owner, the the co-owner, and Marino shows up and he's like, hey. Why don't you come and eat with us? So I'm like, me? He's like, yeah, yeah, you. Come and eat with us. So we sat around this table. There's four of us. It was me, Dan Marino, Dan Marino's college advisor, who was a big influence on him, Mm -hmm. apparently, and um, the co-owner of the pizza place. We ordered all of the menu. (laughs) We had the meatballs, the pizza, the pasta, the salads. We had it all. And we're sitting there, and I'm eating dinner next to Dan Marino. Yeah. And he's asking me questions. Now, Dan is in the media now. He did CBS Sports for a while. I'm, I'm not sure if he still does it or not, but he's asking me questions about where I came from, what I want to do with my career, and in, engaging me so that when we finally finished dinner, I go, hey, you ready to do this interview real quick? He's like, oh, my gosh, yeah, we got to do that. He sat down with me, and he just crushed the interview because we were joking about how I remember him from Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Yeah. And I remember him <laughs> playing football because he was a little bit before my time. Yeah. But – you know, and I asked him, I go, what was your greatest success in your career? And he, he looked dead into the camera and he goes, Ace Ventura, pet detective. Like, you know, and it just <laughs> killed. And it, I, I put it together and I remember watching it back and being like, this is a great story. Yeah. A great interview. But it is because of the 30, 45 minutes we had to establish a relationship that, hey, I'm out here to 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 celebrate you, man. Like, yeah. You had a, such a great career at Pittsburgh. You had such a great career in the NFL. Now you're back and you're opening up these pizza restaurants. Let's celebrate your life. Let's talk about your involvement here. And and he got that. And I didn't even have to sit there and say, hey, we're here to celebrate you. You know, like he just got it. He got it with how I treated him and how I spoke to him and different things. So um, it's definitely it's definitely one of my favorites uh, from from all time. So it's a good one. Two people, one not living, one living that if you could interview, you would love to have the opportunity to sit down with. Oh, man. You can go as far back in time. Doesn't have to be an athlete. Oh, man. That's so good. Uh, I would want to interview. Living, I'd want to interview Barack Obama. 
Yeah. That's I one. think he would be such a wealth of information. And, and, and I'm talking about on the sports side. Mm-hmm. I want to know how much this guy knows about all of the sports that he says he loves so much. I would love to interview him about that. Um, and that would be the living. And I think the deceased. Oh, man, that's so tough. Probably a guy like like Thomas Edison. Like somebody from back, like when before, like things actually worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see how different life was and, and different things of that nature. But, but a guy who invented, you know, basically electricity yeah. would be, would be, uh, would be one that I think you could glean a little bit of information from, but, but yeah, those, those off the, if you're giving me 30 seconds to think about it, those are the two, I'm sure I could come up with some better ones, but those are good. Those are good because I think both of them would create a pretty good story. Oh yeah. Uh, Man, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I know you got a lot of stuff to do. Where can people find you if they want to follow you, look you up, see see exactly what makes Justin Rose Justin Rose? Well, you can find me on Facebook. I have my own uh, page, Justin Rose WXYZ there. If you are on Twitter, you can catch me at J Rose WXYZ on Twitter. That's where I'm probably most active uh, throughout the, the games and, and off and sharing videos and stuff. Um, so those two places there, and you can catch me um, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays uh, reporting at Channel 7, and then Saturdays and Sundays, I'm your weekend anchor. So you can catch me at 6, 10, and 11 o'clock both of those days. And, of course, my show, 30-minute sports talk show, That's uh, we take viewer tweets and engagements. That's at uh, 11.30 on Sunday nights on Channel 7. Awesome, man. I appreciate your time so much. Uh, this has been Justin Rose. He is a sports broadcaster for WXYZ. If you want to see the backstage, the behind the scenes, the relevant uh, information coming out, look up Justin Rose. Check out Channel 7. In, it's Detroit Sports, but like he said, he's interviewed Dan Marino and people all over. So it's it's Detroit-based, but it's really a national national scene. Justin, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Andy, anytime, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. So this is Andy Dirks with the Get Your Game Right podcast. You can hit us up at Andy Dirks 12. Uh, that's my Twitter. Uh, also on Instagram, Andy Dirks Baseball and Andy.Dirks.Realtor for my real estate business. If you have any questions, thank you so much for watching. Subscribe, like, do all that stuff. We love you. Have an amazing day, and we'll be back with more.